Yellich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yelich, he has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan Braun sends it to right center and deep. Get up! Get out of here and go! Ryan Braun, he just hit a walk-off What's going on, Ball and Glove loving Brewer fans? Welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. I'm your host, Tyler. You can find me on Twitter at Tyler Kurth or read my articles by following me on Reviewing the Brew on Twitter. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. And you can also find Trevor on there at Bender underscore Trevor. He is my cheesehead loving buddy, is the host of the Packers Trilogy Podcast. We have had quite the drought here, Trevor, of recording any podcast really together brewers or packers so how are you doing yeah i'm doing pretty good it has been a while it i did two solo packer podcasts and i'm not doing try hard multiple times a week like you have been and i think it's probably been three or four podcasts since i've been on the brewers so yes it it definitely has been a while i i'm glad to be back I just shared this with Tyler, but I have to share it again because I'm excited. I finally have access to the beer I created like four weeks ago at this point. I put it in the keezer right before this Arctic spell happened, and my beer has been frozen. And I finally have a way to warm that up because it's in my uninsulated porch. Just so everyone knows, my beer that I make is kegged and put into a chest freezer that I've since made into a kegerator. We call it a keezer because it's a freezer, not a fridge. But it, my beer has been frozen and I've been very frustrated. And I finally figured out how to warm it back up. And I have the best beer I've made, a vanilla porter. Uh, my girlfriend, I was we were trying to figure out what to name it. And we were I was going for a vanilla wafer porter. So this is because there's wheat in here, it's a vanilla wheat porter. It's the vanilla weefer. That, <laughs> that, that's the name of the beer. And Tyler, you know my beautiful girlfriend, so you can. I knew you knew before I even. If I would have just said that name, you knew it was her because I'm not creative <laughs> at all. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And you got a couple six packs of beer coming your way because I lost our uh, playoff Damn straight prop bet here with for the. For the NFL, oh, fun, so. <laughs> funny story about that. So anyone that doesn't know, myself, my girlfriend, Tyler, and his wife are in on this just for fun NFL Pick'em League. We did every single game of the regular season. It's kind of weird with all the cancellations and moving of the schedule. His wife won that. She is unfortunately a Bears fan. Uh, so she received an Akeem Hicks jersey from all of us, which, respectable. That's like... One of the more respectable players on that team. Very talented. Whatever. I won the playoff pool. So my reward is a six-pack from each of the 
other three. So that's exciting. Um, I'm excited to get that. And because we bought her jersey off of DHgate, I'm pretty sure you'll be spending more money on me than we spent on that jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I couldn't believe her jersey came already. Like DHgate's normally like three months, five yep. months, and that finally shows up. Hers came in like a couple weeks. So good job, awesome. China. You did something good for once. <laughs> All right, let's shift over to some Brewers talk here. Um, we have a former NBA player in Derek Fisher to talk <laughs> about. <laughs> Not quite the same, but I could see how when you see the headline, Brewers trade for Derek Fisher, you automatically scratch your head and, and think of the, you know, I think of him from the Lakers anyway, Derek Fisher. So... Not quite the same player. This is an outfielder, and the Brewers made a trade with the Blue Jays. They gave up cash and a player to be named later to get him. He's 27 years old, a left-handed hitter, out of minor league options. Coincidentally enough, and I think this plays a big factor into why the Brewers decided to trade for him, was that David Stearns was with the Astros when Derek Fisher was drafted in, I think it was like 2014. So he's a former first-round pick that eventually just never put it all together. He's kind of proved everything throughout AAA, but his major league experience uh, has been very, very dreadful from a statistical standpoint. He's batting under 200. So with him, it's going to be... Can the Brewers just, it's kind of like what they did with Vogelbach. Can they find lightning in a bottle? Will a change of scenery help him out? He obviously had very good potential at one point, still really kind of does, but kind of an interesting trade, I think. I didn't really see the need for another outfielder, but here comes Derek Fisher on the 40-man roster. So what do you got to add about him? Yeah, not not a very exciting acquisition from David Stearns, but... I think how you put it is exactly what he's hoping for, right? That lightning in a bottle, that change of scenery is just going to ignite something for him, and he's going to become, even if it's just for one year, you get, you know, your your fourth outfielder is now going to be a 290 hitter. You know, he's going to slug 500, 600, I don't know, whatever. His OPS is going to be 900s. And you're going to be pretty confident, happy with that. Looking at some of his numbers, it is not impressive at all. And I do think it has to be like a big change of scenery truly helps him. I am not overly confident in that. But with the Brewers' financial situation the way it is, you don't love moves like this, but you need to take swings like this, right? The Brewers did it last year with... Guys like Brock Holt, Eric Sogard, uh, Jed Jerko, Justin Smoke. You know, you do these lower-level deals in hoping that one of them hits. And if this is how you're going to do it, you have to, you just have to make the moves. And you get a guy you like. Clearly, David Stearns likes Derek Fisher. So let's just see how it plays out. As Brewer fans, you're hoping for the best. As Brewer fans, you also need to... Expect that he is not going to be able to do that much. Like, you're not expecting a 300 hitter and and all this stuff. But I do think now he's a brewer. We're going to hope for him to do the best because if he's playing well, that's going to help our team overall, even if he's a bench bat at best. But if he can be consistent in that, that is helpful as well. So, you know, it's not, it's not an overly exciting signing, but with 
or not signing acquisition, but it needs to happen. These these are the small money deals. You know, not a lot of things you're giving up to do to get players like this. You got to do them when you're in the situation the Brewers are in, when they just can't go out and spend twenty million dollars willy nilly. They gotta they gotta get those lower level guys, and and you hope a twenty seven year old, you hope a guy that's batting from the left side can figure it out and and maybe Miller Park is his sweet spot and that's just where he needed to be that's what you got to hope for obviously I'm not holding my breath too tightly on that one though no nobody is I mean everyone's going oh well he's the Ben Gamble replacement and that might be somewhat true I think Billy McKinney has a good chance to kind of win that fourth outfielder position as well but I I guess I'll correct myself here I misspoke he wasn't a first round pick he was a 37th pick so still a really high pick in 2014 but he does have some versatility in the outfield he's got pretty good speed according to Statcast. he's in the 75th percentile so he can play center field he can play any one of the corners there he throws right-handed so a little bit different from where he bats there and you know you were kind of talking about well what do you expect out of you know your backup outfielder what's he going to hit and slash and all that well in 2020 that was his best slash line at 226, 359, 452, had an OPS plus of 122. And that, granted, that was just in 31 at-bats. Because when you take a look at the rest of his Major League experience, it's just absolutely dreadful. For his career, he is hitting 194, has a 286 on base percentage, 376 slugging, and 662 OPS, and that's an over 400 MLB at bats. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of luck here, I think. I, Especially for a guy who's out of minor league options, like he really has to impress in spring training to stay on this team. And, and the other thing that is scary, so I took out, I guess I should have done this calculation with plate appearances, but based on just at-bats, so, you know, taking walks out of the equation and those types of things, his strikeout percentage is scary. Um, his strikeout percentage just by, again, just by at-bats, so 402 at-bats, he struck out 164 times. That's a 41%. 41% of the time he gets to the plate, he's striking out. You extrapolate that to the actual plate appearances, so including walks and things like that. Um, he's at 35.8%, 36%. So neither one of those is good. And that is the part that's like, okay, I get it. Maybe he's able to hit a little bit more consistently, but it's not like that 36 to 40% is automatically just somehow going to drop to 15 because he's in Milwaukee. So that's the number that's concerning to me, and that's why I have a big red flag up of like, I just don't see, I don't see how he's going to be able to be effective when he's striking out, and with that, you know, whiffing, swinging, missing all the time, it really feels like if you're striking out 40 plus percent of the time or 36 percent of the time. Right, because he doesn't excel at drawing walks per se either. I'm taking a look at some of the baseball savant numbers here. He is below average by a landslide in like 
just swing percentage and first pitch swing percentage well below chase percentage looks a lot really great compared to the major league average but that's because he just doesn't swing the bat (laughs) the swing percentage in the mlb the average is 46.6 percent throughout his career he's at 38 percent so that's a eight percent drop there and when you're not you know when you're striking out like you said and not really excelling at drawing walks either I mean, he's going to be a good defender, I have no doubt in that, but offensively, I am a little worried about what he can bring to the table, but like we said, he just gets some confidence, and one good year is all we really need to to kind of propel him here, and you know, at least keep him on this roster anyway, so it'll be interesting to see. So one more thing about Fisher, and then Tyler, we can move on, and it's not really specific to him, but let's say somehow I am a major league batter and I strike out 25% of the time in relation to me striking out 25% of the time, how often would you want me to get on base via the walk? Like, is there a certain percentage that's just universal? Like, am I hoping for 15 or 20% of the time I'm doing that no matter the strikeout percentage or, or what, what is a good percentage for that? I guess. Yeah, so MLB average is 8%. I'm trying to think back. Lorenzo Cain's year where he drew like 71 walks his first year with the Brewers, his walk percentage that year, I want to say it was at like 11%. So actually, even though it's – if Major League average is 8 and you're talking about that year with uh, Lorenzo Cain being at 11 I did the quick calculation. He's had 50 walks in his four-year career on those 458 plate appearances. That's 10.9%, 11% basically. So based on that, even though his walk numbers don't seem high, I think that's entirely because he hasn't had a ton of plate appearances. But actually, he's been walking at a fairly decent clip then because, like I said, that's about... 10, 11% over the course of his career. Again, not a lot of plate appearances, but that is something, you know, even though he's striking out, he is walking quite a bit, but that makes sense when you say he's just not swinging the bat. So if they get to a full count, it's either a strikeout or a walk, depending on what the pitcher pitches, because he's just not swinging the bat. So that might be part of it. But it is encouraging to see he is getting on base that way, at least percentage-wise. Yeah, thank you for correcting me on that, Matt. You're absolutely right with the 10%. So I guess we could count on him to draw some walks here in that regard. The last thing before we move on from Fisher is... Because he was added the 40-man, we now have seven outfielders on the 40-man roster. Lorenzo Cain, Fisher, Garcia, McKinney, Ray, Taylor, and Yelich. So obviously we acquired McKinney earlier this offseason, now acquired Derek Fisher. What do you think this means for Corey Ray and Tyrone Taylor? I I personally think it's we don't trust them, but that's just my take. Yeah, clearly they don't trust them. I don't know if it means anything more than that. Um, but clearly the organization is not putting a lot of faith in them because they feel like they need these, what are essentially lower level depth pieces. And if you had faith in a Corey Ray or Taylor, you, you aren't making these moves. You're making these moves at third base. You're making these moves at first base, at rotation, you know, that fifth starter, that mid level reliever, something you're doing other moves if you trust those guys, and clearly they do not. 
seven guys on this roster and him being the seventh is weird to me. First off, I don't know if I just wasn't listening to you. That wouldn't surprise me. But they sent, why are they giving away cash for this guy? What? <laughs> like, I get a player to be named later, whatever. It, I still think that's really weird for the MLB to do that. Like, just fucking say the name now. It's not that hard. But cash? Why are we sending cash to our seventh outfielder? What? <laughs> we need the money. <sighs> I don't know. I didn't hear how much cash it was either. I don't I don't even well, know what's high or low in these deals. <laughs> I, I don't either, but anything over a dollar seems like too much when you need every <laughs> single penny. That's true. <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't disagree with that. I can't argue against that logic. <laughs> Well, speaking of cash, we did spend a little extra dough and brought back Brett Anderson. That deal was made official here tonight. So that's a $2.5 million deal for one season. He can make up to an additional million uh, based off incentives, which I do not think those have been leaked yet. But I do want to pat myself on the back and say, good job, Tyler. I wrote an article about a week and a half ago about why the Brewers should bring Brett Anderson back right after he signed Colton Wong because, as a ground ball pitcher, it makes sense. And now here, Brett Anderson comes back on a really, really cheap deal, and you can never have enough starters. So I personally am in love with this deal. I'm glad we brought him back. But what do you think? Like you mentioned, it does make a lot of sense. You solidify the middle of the infield, and now you're solidifying what hopefully is going to be the end of your rotation because hopefully, you know, hopefully he is at best our fourth or fifth starter because we continue to see the ascension from both Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. We see those guys solidify as one and two, and hopefully it's more like 1A and 1B um, because they're both on that, you know, ace level stuff in 2021 that's going to help out the team tremendously but you get adrian hauser in there you know and just adding brett anderson as that fourth or fifth starter to kind of solidify that rotation that means a lot like that's a lot of solidifying of your team and then on top of that not only are you getting a solid rotation guy you're getting a guy that now fits with the defense you have. You don't have a liability at second base. In fact, you have a big-time strength now at second base. We know Arcia at shortstop up the middle is going to be really solid. And the corner of the infield is probably going to be a little bit of a question mark. But if we just get replacement level, like average play from the corner infield, and you have one of the best, if not the best, shortstop second baseman combo in the league defensively at least it seems like a match made in heaven and I like the fact that we're getting a guy that's a veteran and he's just you know that the Corbin Burns Brandon Woodruff can take us up Hauser can take us up a peg as well if he comes back to to what we saw in previous years not in 2020 he he can just solidify us Hauser has a bad start bring Brad Anderson in the next day, give the bullpen some rest, get a get a nice, easy day for the pen. You know, those types of things. He's important for the rotation, and then it makes it all that much better that we have this defense now to back him up, at least up the middle. 
Defense is huge. I have been on a huge defensive kick over the last week because, honestly, I think in terms of defensive run saves, we can finish in the top 10 this year because you're getting Colton Wong, who is back-to-back old Glover. Lorenzo Cain's obviously coming back and returning to play the outfield. So I did like some digging around. In 2019, the Brewers were really good defensively, and then 2020, it's just really all went down to shit. So we'll just, we're going to leave that year out of there. But in 2019, they were 11th, and they had a DRS of 40. Well, if you combine Wong, Kane, and Arcia's DRSs over, you take their average over the last like three seasons or so, you're already at 40 between three players. So this team, I think, is going to be very good defensively. Brett Anderson, yes, you're you now acquired a pitcher who's going to pitch into a strength. And you mentioned Adrian Hauser. I think he could benefit as well because he threw a lot more sinkers last year and wasn't so much a swing and miss pitcher. So sneaky there. And, He'll help. And I can't recall exactly, but I think it was your editor at Reviewing the Brew, David Gasper, came on this show and said, Adrian Hauser needs to go back to how he was pitching. Stop with all the sinker balls all the time because he was better when he wasn't doing that. But if he is going to continue with the sinker ball, or maybe it's like a combination of the two, continue to use it, but not quite to the extent he did in 2020, that will, like you said, that that comes into effect as well. Just uh, that little bit of help of having, you know, you have a ground ball up the middle. As a pitcher with this defense, you don't even try to touch it. I know that's hard. Like the instincts, it's hard not to go after the ball. I get it. But you don't want to touch the ball because between Arcia and Wong, they're going to figure it out. That is just how good the middle of the defense is going to be. And so it's it's definitely good for any pitcher, but a pitcher trying to get back to previous form in Hauser, it's going to be big for him. Obviously, we just talked about it. it's going to be big for Anderson as well. I think all this makes a lot of sense, and it's truly getting me excited about this starting rotation because, you know, one through four are all but locked up, and all we need is Brett Anderson to just be Brett Anderson. He doesn't have to be any more than that. And then we need the two at the top end to pitch how they can. And then Adrian Hauser is kind of the wild card, but with how effective he can be, you're you're okay with that at your number three pitcher being kind of a wild card, but also knowing just how dominant he can be because he can be truly dominant if he figures it all out. Most certainly. We've been hoping for that for the last couple seasons with Hauser. And with Brad Anderson this year, you essentially just have to hope that the blisters stay away because that was his biggest limiting factor last year. Obviously started late due to a blister, and his last start of the season got cut short due to that same blister on the same finger. So hopefully a normal ramp-up period will help cure that. The last bit of news we have here today, and a signing hasn't officially been announced, at least as we're recording this, but Robert Murray tweeted out that Travis Shaw and the Brewers are in serious talks on bringing him back. And then the, I can't remember his name, but one of the Red Sox beat reporters uh, kind of tweeted out and said the same thing. So it seems like Travis Shaw might be returning to one of his two former teams, the Brewers or the Red Sox, which is kind of funny. But the Brewers' current 40-man roster is 
full after we signed Brett Anderson here today. So if Travis Shaw does indeed get signed, it's either A, going to have to be on a minor league deal with an invite to spring training, or they're going to have to drop someone off the 40-man roster. So we've been talking about him as an option all season, but to get him on a minor league deal, I think would be crazy. Obviously not officially yet, but I think that's the route it's heading. Yeah, and that I think that would be awesome. <laughs> um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. Um, but I'm seeing, I just wanted to see if anything officially happened. So of course I went to Twitter and searched his name. Hasn't yet, but the amount of Travis Shaw Jersey swaps to Milwaukee is getting a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> like someone thought they were the first one and there's already 85 people on Twitter that have the, what Travis Shaw would look like in a Brewers uniform. Oh, you're so funny. <laughs> um, and also now I am watching on repeat Travis Shaw's home run against the Cubs in the 10th inning when we were down 3-2. Do you know that that season didn't end the like we wanted it to, but Santa Maria. I, we, <laughs> we, we could do Travis Shaw again. I think, I think that would be a good addition. The 40-man roster makes it a little bit more interesting, trying to figure out what exactly all that means, but I won't pretend to know who they're going to DFA or cut or whatever they have to do to get them get Travis Shaw on the 40 man. I won't pretend to know who that's going to be, but I would I would not be opposed to seeing Travis Shaw in a Brewers uniform in 2021. Me either, because obviously he left here on a really sour note. So I think that put kind of the perspective on it that he didn't want to return, and his agent I think made it really clear they didn't want to return. So the fact that they're coming close to the deal, I think, shows that they put all that bad history behind him and just kind of how he left the Brewers. And he had a fairly decent year in 2020 playing with the Blue Jays, tallied 180 at bats, hit 239, 306, 411, had a 717 OPS, six homers, 17 RBIs. So he still has the pop, plays a good third base, and obviously fits a need for the Brewers. So you know, you think between, like, Travis Shaw and Jed Jerku, I think a lot of fans are okay with either one of them coming back. But to bring back the lefty, <laughs> and he has a lot more pop than Jerko, it's certainly a more enticing option, I think, at this point. So I'd love to see the mayor back. Let's hope this deal um, – hopefully this deal gets wrapped up before we're done recording today. All right, but I think that is going to do it for us. We exhausted all of the Brewers' news, at least as of – eight o'clock on tuesday night as we're recording this so we will uh, continue to podcast whenever we get some exciting news here but it looks like the brewers roster is finally taking shape to at least how they want to begin the year so spring training is just around the corner pitchers and catchers report i think on thursday already this week the 18th so get ready to hear about who's in the best shape of their life who's added the ephus pitch and all that good jazz but we'll be sure to cover it most likely next monday with you guys but until then we'll talk to you later brewer fans trust in stearns